want to ask the Lord to uh, unveil the things that he's written on the tablet of my heart and that you, can, you and I could share these, these principles and these truths together. Today would be more than just a sermon, more than just a, you know, the end of a holiday season, but it would actually be a living word today, a quickened word. The Holy Spirit would write this word on the tablet of our heart. So let's put our faith in agreement. Let's cause ourselves to be spiritually minded. Let's not think about yesterday nor anticipate tomorrow, but let us capture this moment together. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves today knowing that you are able to do something powerful in us right now. God, knowing that for the next few minutes of time, that God, even an earthly vessel such as myself can carry a heavenly treasure, God. And God, I pray that the words that you have, you have shared with me, the thoughts that have come to my mind when I have contemplated on this subject matter, the scriptures that you have brought my attention to, I pray that we will share in these together today. Jesus said, Father, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He told his disciples, I have meat to eat that you have not eaten of, God. Today, let us eat of this same like-mindedness, this meat of this word in the heart of what you're giving us today, Father. Turn our attention towards these scriptures. We'll be so thankful for it, God. We receive it today, God, with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Thank you for your reverence to the Word of God today. As a, as a pastor and as a, both a preacher and a teacher, and that's what the Apostle Paul identified himself as first an apostle, but then he said as a preacher and teacher, and I as a pastor, yet also to encompass being a preacher and teacher, recognize the gifts and the callings that God has placed within my heart. And I also recognize some of the compulsions that I find when I study the Scripture. What compels me? What, what, is, what do I gravitate to when I study the Scriptures? And I recognize that the, the type of teaching ministry that God has given me is not necessarily as popular as some in the body of Christ because I don't necessarily always uh, deal with life issues. I'm more of a doctrinal person. I'm somebody that I just value doctrine. I don't know what it is, but the Bible says it is a good thing for the heart to be established with grace. I think that your faith has to be established with doctrinal truth. You have to be rooted and grounded upon the Word of God. You have to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And that takes attention. It takes for us going in and studying the Word line upon line, precept upon precept, not always that which is emotional, not what always is um, you know, fantastic in imagery, but more that's just principles and precepts that satisfy the craving desire of our spiritual person today. Doctrine in, that's driven in, today in America is driven by cultural need and preference. So doctrine, the word doctrine in Greek actually just means teaching. So most of the teaching ministries, pastoral and especially evangelistic ministries in our culture, the American culture today, is driven by the American cultural need and preference. So listen to this. This is an important statement. It's going to help us today to be able to, to discern where I'm going. Christian living easily surpasses Christian theology today. Go to your Christian bookstore. Look at the wall that says Christian theology and then look at the wall that says Christian living. You'll find but a handful of books on Christian theology, but you'll find 
hundreds of books on Christian living. We understand that you need both. We need theology that bridges into our life. Come on, somebody. Amen? It shouldn't be one without the other. Some of the doctrines, and you can study doctrines, numerous teachings that are in the church. Some of these are, as Jesus said, bring out of your storehouse some things old, some things new. Sometimes we think we are handling a new doctrine, and really it's something that's been in the body. It's certainly been in the Word for many years, but it's new to you. Let me share with you a familiar doctrine that many of you are accustomed to hearing taught about in the culture of the American Pentecostal slash charismatic movement to which you and I are a part of, and that is the the doctrine of abundant life. We've heard this. We've named churches after the abundant life. It's extracted from John chapter number 10. Jesus said in John 10, the 10th verse, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Right? But I am come, Jesus said, as the good shepherd, he said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Right? I believe in abundant life. I believe in the doctrine of abundant life. Value it. Believe in favor, believe in grace, believe in prosperity. I know we've seen the far extreme side of the doctrine of prosperity, even to the degree that sometimes we have disgraced the purity of the doctrine. The doctrine to a degree is extracted from 3 John 2 where the apostle uh, John says, Beloved, I write, he said, and I pray that you may be prosperous and be in health as your soul prospers. And so we believe that God wants us to prosper as Christians. Psalm 1 says that you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water of life. You'll bring forth your fruit in season. God wants us prosperous. I believe that. I believe that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I believe I'm blessed in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. I believe blessing runs me down. I just believe those things. I confess those in my own personal prayer life. But that is a doctrine. But, and that, that's a cultural focus in America today. It's upon blessing, it's upon favor, and it's upon prosperity. And we value those things. But I have a question for you this morning. And that is, are we majoring in the minor? Think about that for just a moment. Are we majoring in the minor? My sons, uh, two of which are in college today, and Amber just graduated last year, and, and they, they're, they're defining their career, and they're defining their, uh, their collegiate choices and their, and their studies in majors and minors. You know, and I'm afraid that in America, we have chosen to major in a minor doctrine. Meaning, let me give you an example. Remember Jesus' reproof of the Pharisees in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. When his reproof was this, you have, he said, you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. He said, you have, in essence, you've excelled in certain areas, but you have omitted the things that actually have greater depth of application to your life. And I'm afraid we've done that in the church today. So for a few minutes, I want to look today into the scriptures to reaffirm mine and your belief in what I believe would be the most important doctrine. Remember this, out of the various applications and contexts that would fill your mind with doctrine, what we would define as teaching, things that you could study both in Christian living and in Christian theology I believe that there is something that should supersede all others that should be the, at, the, at the very crest of our belief today John the third chapter and the 15th verse starts we're going to read two verses in the third chapter it says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life the familiar verse, the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go to the fourth chapter of John, the 13th and the 14th verse. Let's see if we can find uh, just a, a, a stimulus here in these scriptures that the apostle John is giving as he is quoting Jesus himself. John chapter number 14, it's, or 4, excuse me, the 13th verse. Jesus answered and said unto her, this is the woman that he met at the well, remember. He said, whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But the 14th verse, the water, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst. So remember the analogy. Jesus is meeting a woman that was perhaps ostracized from her community and is there drawing water at an, uh, at an odd time, showing that she is separated from the commonwealth of her community. And, and Jesus and her talked about the extracting of water from the well and he said the water that you drink that I can give you he said when you drink of this water you'll never thirst and the water that I give you will be in you a well of water that will spring up into everlasting life let's put together a few thoughts let's continue in John chapter 5 John really captured the essence of Jesus' teaching in this vein of thought for a few minutes it's in the 5th chapter of John the 24th verse Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath not abundant life, but everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now remember, as I'm establishing a principle today, I am in no way taking away from the value of abundant life. We value so much the promise of favor and prosperity and grace that God's given to us. But I believe in my heart of hearts that's a minor doctrine compared to the revelation of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. And I feel you're impassioned about it today. You're just overwhelming me this morning with zeal on this thought. John chapter 6 this morning, the 40th verse. Maybe as we unfold this a little further, it will reawaken and, and reacquaint you with this. What often and unfortunately is an antiquated doctrine in our culture today. The 40th verse, the 6th chapter, Jesus said, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son... And believes on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 12, the 49th and the 50th verse. Only about three more passages of scripture we'll read. And we'll have created the context in which I'm sharing with you that I believe is the most important doctrine. The 49th verse of John chapter 12, Jesus said, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. So Jesus said, this is what I've been commanded of the Father to share with you what I should say and what I should speak. And I know his commandment. Here's what he said. So this is the bullhorn if it was given to Jesus. And so in essence, Jesus is saying, of all that I have taught you for these three and a half years of ministry, whether it was the 12, the 70, the 120, or the masses of people, he said, I didn't receive it of myself, but I received it of the Father. He gave me a commandment. In essence, he told me what I should speak and what I should relay to you, 50th verse. And I know that his commandment is life 
everlasting. This is what God wants to confront the people of Jesus' generation with as in essence the fullness of what Jesus shared in his ministry is that the commandment is life everlasting. Now let's go to last passages of scripture. 1 John chapter 5. So let's pick up the pen of John now not in the gospel in writing the direct words of Jesus but now the epistle of John as John writes reflecting upon what he learned in his ministry with Jesus. John chapter 1 John 5 Verses 11 through 13. And this is the record. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God does not have life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so you would say, Pastor Brown, then therefore what is, what you believe is the central theme, perhaps the greatest doctrine of all the doctrines that the Word of God gives us, and they are, it's many faceted, there's so many doctrines that the Word gives us that we can hide in our heart that helps us in Christian living. I believe with all of my heart that the greatest of all doctrines is the revelation of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. And unfortunately, our culture today, we reserve sermons about eternal life for funerals. It's almost like we, we're almost like using this in the EMT mode, in essence. That at, at the tragic uh, events of life, perhaps even in the loss of life, then that's the only time where we're going to turn and go to the passages of Scripture that ought to give us hope. But I want you to know today that if you'll look close enough at the promises of eternal life, it will lift your countenance today. It's not just a hope that's w- awaiting on people whose countenances have fallen th- because of the loss of a loved one. This is something that when it gets down into your spirit it will lift your countenance toward heaven today because I have eternal life abiding on the inside of me right now. John chapter number 11, Jesus told Martha, he said I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me will never die. Did you know death is but a doorway for us? Come on, we walk out of this existence into the kingdom of God. No wonder Paul said, I am in a strait betwixt two. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. As he looked around, he said, and it's far better. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the promise that all of us should hold dearly today. That we've been made regenerate in the spirit. That the eternal life of God revealed to us in the power of the Holy Spirit abides on the inside of us right now. Actually, the Holy Spirit that you possess, that's on the inside of you, is the earnest of your inheritance right now. In essence, the word earnest means it's the down payment. It's, what, it's the part of us that is eternal. Romans 8 says that his spirit has reached across and joined with our spirit, declaring us to be children of God. I have eternal life in Christ. And today, I know, I know that death would be but a doorway. And I would immediately, the tabernacle of this flesh can be folded up. But I have a tabernacle reserved for me in heaven that's eternal, that will not fade. Come on, somebody and it will not fail. 
This tabernacle, Paul said, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with the tabernacle that is from above. He said that then this body, he said this body, it is succumbing to the Adamic nature. It, it succumbs to death. That's why the last enemy to be defeated is death. But Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 that there will come a day when even death will succumb to the victory of Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, validating unto us the promise of eternal life. We today have the hope that one day we will live because he lives. As he lives, so shall you live also. That ought to give us hope in this world, not in the future world, in today's life. Should lift our countenances. Luke's gospel, the 18th verse, it's in the 30, 18th chapter, the 30th verse. Let me put the context for just a second if I can. This is where Jesus' disciples, it's in when Jesus' response to, I believe, the rich man who would not, you know, who, who when Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me, and, and he went away sorrowful because he had so much, and Jesus talked about that. Uh, with his disciples, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like a, uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle. Remember that conversation? And then Peter made the... It's usually Peter that's making a statement that's kind of a little bit more on the edge. And Peter turned to Jesus and he said, We've left all to follow you. What's, this, what's in it for us? Good question. We've left everything. What's in it for us? And here's what Jesus said. That who shall not receive... Many fold more in this present time. How many know God rewards those? I mean, there's a reward for serving God. I believe that. I believe we are prosperous, favored. I believe all those things. But And in the world to come, read it, everlasting life. Our cultural shift in our attention has fallen upon the first part. We will receive manyfold more in this present time. That's a great thing. I believe in the God of recompense. I believe in a God who rewards us for faithfulness. I believe that if I sow, I shall also reap. If I sow to the flesh, of the flesh I'll reap corruption. But if I sow of the Spirit, come on somebody, I'll reap. I'll reap the blessing of God and life everlasting. But look at the end of this. And in the world to come, life everlasting. And so we're celebrating tangible victories and we are overlooking the greatest gift that God has ever given to us the promise of an eternal kingdom that is prepared for those that love him remember in his doctrine Jesus said this there will come a day when you will stand before God and if your name has been found written in the book of life he will say come in well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joys of the Lord no wonder the writer said eye has not seen ear has not heard neither has it entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those that love us only by the glimpse of the eternal spirit can we even begin to fathom all that God has reserved for those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And for whatever reason we're celebrating in essence the material blessings of this life and I know to a degree that we should and we reserve any measure of celebration about eternal life for the, for the funeral service of a distant loved one and that's wrong in the eyes of God. I know you ought to celebrate when you think about how God's blessed you, your family, your house, whatever, your job, your health but you ought to celebrate when you think about that God has prepared prepared for you an eternal kingdom where there is no, Jesus said that the the rust will not corrupt, the thief cannot enter in. We had people in our church where thieves broke in over the holiday season. My own daughter's house was broken in Friday night. Thieves entered, but I'm talking about an eternal kingdom where the adversary and the thieves have no access to the reward that God has for those that love him. Why can't we celebrate that kind of doctrine with zeal and passion? 
because we have a misplaced priority. We have to begin to draw our attention back. I discovered the word eternal appears 45 times in the New Testament beginning in Matthew's gospel all the way to Revelation, 25 times the word everlasting. It's the same Greek word translated both eternal and everlasting, and it means a perpetual age. Wednesday nights we've been talking about the age to come. Perpetual age of life, of eternal life, of God's favor. Let's consider for just a few minutes today eternal life in the context of resurrection. How many of you believe in resurrection? I believe. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said that he said concerning writing this, he said, to those that have fallen asleep. He said, to those that have fallen asleep in this context, it's those that when we have lost loved ones, it's written to us to encourage us that there's the hope of a resurrection. We which are alive and yet remain shall not precede those that have gone on before us. They will precede us in the, in the call and the resurrection before the Lord. The present work of the Spirit in our life today is the earnest of our inheritance. But Scripture promises you and I a resurrection where mortal will inherit immortality. Amen. You can't get this out of a bottle. There's no, you know, you can search the jungles of, of, of the Amazon jungles to find the fountain of life. The fountain of life is right here today revealed to us in the person of Christ Jesus. Drink of the water that he offers freely and you'll live forever in the glories of God's eternal kingdom. You can search all the jungles of this world and all the religions of this world who do not offer unto us the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so the scripture promises us a mortal will inherit immortality, a corruption, this corruptible flesh will inherit incorruption. What a day that will be. Come on, somebody. There will be a change, Paul said, in our bodies. There will be a change that's going to work within us. Paul used this words: our vile body, our vile body, our body that decays, that breaks down, that's corruptible, that goes through, again, the effects of the Adamic nature. When God spoke to Adam and said, the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. It is our belief that he died spiritually the day that he ate of it, but he began to die progressively from that day forward until even Adam, Adam in the Hebrew, it's man from the red clay earth, that God had reached his hand down and drew him out of dust he said, from dust you were taken and dust you will return. You'll work on this earth by the sweat of your brow. And we know we've seen and we put our own loved ones in the ground. But we have the hope that one day the trumpet of God will sound and there will be a resurrection. And all those that have their faith in Christ Jesus, come on somebody, will be raised up out of the ground. That ought to give us hope and joy and it ought to put a smile on our face. Glory to God. We ought to not be downcast with that revelation in our heart. There will be a change in our bodies. A change will come. Did you know you and I are going to receive a body like his glorious body today? An eternal body that will not succumb to death. The first body that Jesus carried on the cross, that was, that was nailed to the cross, succumbed to death. When his blood flowed out freely, he died. He gave up the ghost. He exchanged his blood for our redemption. But let me tell you, the life and the body that he possesses right now, it wouldn't matter how many Roman soldiers spears, how many nails that they pierced his hand, wouldn't matter how many thorns that were upon his brow, it could not extract the life that is in him because his life is no longer in the blood. It is in the spirit. Come on, somebody. It is eternal. And one day, you and I are going to have a body made like unto his glorious But You're talking about a superhero. I'm talking about a superhero that goes far beyond anything that a comic book author can write or an artist can paint. I'm talking about a revelation of being made like Jesus. 
The scripture says, I believe that we, in this context, I believe we will have flesh and bone. Remember when he met with them following his resurrection, when they thought he was a spirit? He said, I am not a spirit because a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He omitted blood. I've taught this principle before. I believe it is my belief that in the world to come, the bodies that we will possess in the resurrection will not have blood. We will have flesh and bone will be tangible. We can reach out and touch and we can touch our own flesh, but it's not empowered by blood. It's empowered by the Spirit. Unending with the life stream of God. We will be tangible, able to feel, able to touch. Jesus ate and he promised to drink. That's a question that people ask about the resurrection. Yes, I believe that we can eat and drink, but it won't be necessary to sustain life because life will be in the Spirit. Right? We will have the ability to pass through dimensions. Jesus himself could appear and reappear. He could walk through walls. He could be in the presence of God one minute, and then he was in the presence of his disciples the next. Did you know the Bible says that you will be as the angels in heaven? Have you ever read what the angels could do? Think about that for a moment. Jesus himself said you will be as the angels in heaven. So in your mind you think about how majestic and how powerful and great these angels are with their swords drawn and the strength of God and the faith of God that they possess. You will be as the angels of God in heaven. I believe also in this context today we will be neither male nor female, sexless. In this sense, we will neither marry nor are given in marriage. I'm going to give you a myth buster today. Grandma and grandpa that departed long years ago, and you think when you say, well, they're like lovers walking down the streets of heaven. No, they're not. No, they are not. They are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, and they are in God's eternal kingdom to worship God, not to have relationship with each other. This is not Mormon doctrine where we have celestial sex and produce multiple children. We enter into God's kingdom as his children that we can serve God. Come on, somebody, with acceptable heart that are ready to be all that God's called us to be. So it's a myth buster. You have to go into the scriptures and see how God has created for us. Our communion in that day will be with God. We will possess the mind of Christ. Did you know right now today, science has proven that we use about 10% of our brain? In that day, we will have the mind of Christ. I know many of us are thinking, I know folks that use a lot less. We will have his mind. You will know as you are known. You will have the mind of God, God's mind. His thoughts will be your thoughts. I'm not saying you will be God. That's a pagan doctrine. His grace will give you his thoughts. Y'all are not catching that. See, because I struggle with carnal thoughts. And I'm the only one. So I'll go to the altar while you sanctified holy people that can't respond, who never have carnal thoughts. I have carnal thoughts that it's a daily battle to tear them down. Things that enter into my mind, fear, or anything that we would associate with carnal thoughts enter into my mind. But in that day, there's not a carnal thought to cast down. I don't have a corrupted mind. I think on the things of God constantly. That's why the writer Jojo was right on the edge in in Philippians 4, verse number 6, to which he quoted verse number 8, says, "Things Think on these things that are pure, that are holy, that are just, that are eternal. We'll be in that day and in that kingdom, and that's what our mind will think on those things, not contemplated by the anxieties of this age. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, face to face, I will know even as I am known. It will be perfect worship, and it will be perfect communion with God. Isn't that exciting? Perfect communion with God. Come on, in Him I live, and in Him I move, and in Him I have my very being.
No wonder Jesus so longed to return to the Father. His prayer, John 17, Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before I came to this earth. Restore unto me the communion and the fellowship that I had with you. I thank God for the promise that in the eternal life that God's given us, we'll have perfect worship, perfect communion with the Father. Isn't that exciting today? That's so exciting. The world around us will be changed. I believe that the world around us, even this earth, did you know the earth that you and I live on today, planet earth, Romans 8 tells us it groans, it's grown, it groans waiting to be redeemed. The earth responds to the presence of sin. It does. Go to the book of Leviticus and be reminded of what the scriptures tell us about the land will vomit you out. The land, if you sowed all this sin and wickedness in it, and I'm paraphrasing some of the writings and the words spoken by Moses to the children of Israel. It said, he warned them, he said, he said, if you go into the land and you sin like the Canaanites, he said, I'm warning you, it will spew you out the way it spewed them out. See, the world convulses at the presence of sin and it's waiting for redemption. Amen. And there will come a day when not only God will redeem us, he'll redeem all of creation. That's why the writers tell us to look for a new heaven and a new earth. Peter said, wherein dwells righteousness. He said, the things that you live on today will pass away with fervent heat. There will be a recreation of a heaven and a new earth, and there will dwell righteousness. And he even said this. He said, seeing that all of these things shall be dissolved, everything that we know that's tangible and that's carnal, that's temporal, will be dissolved. What manner of men and women ought we to be in light of that promise of eternal Life in Christ Jesus. So presently, I believe today that there is an eternal existence outside of this natural world. It's another dimension. It's the spiritual world. The greatest world is not this tangible world. It's the spiritual world, right? It's, 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 not, it's not, let me, let me say this. It's not the scientific world. It's not, it's not my, you can't take a microscope. You know, you can take a microscope and look and look and you can go further and further until you're able to see things you can't see with the natural eye. But it's still in the natural world. But I'm talking about another dimension. If many of you read Dr. Brassfield's article uh, several months ago about heaven, heaven being not that far away, meaning that it's a dimension that's right here today. It's just on the other side of the natural world is the spiritual world. Sometimes we seem to think that heaven, the heaven is on the other side of the galaxies and the universe. You know, like our universe is expanding at the speed of light. And so we think that the heaven is on the other side of that expansion. Heaven is right here, right now, just in another dimension. Amen. Right? That's why Jesus could go from the presence of God to the presence of the disciples back to the presence of God. It's another dimension. It's present. I believe in the resurrection there will be a merging of the heavens and the, and the new heavens and the new earth in the recreation. That, 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 that which is hidden from us will be made known and will be revealed. Here's what the scripture promises us, and I'm soon to close. Time will be no more. There will be no sun nor moon, but the glory of God will be the light of that eternal kingdom. There will be no seasons of winter and there will be no darkness. Perfect conditions, perfect existence. Did you know John writes these words? John said there will be no more pain, sorrow, tears. Think about this with me today. Think about this, death. Death, think about that. I'm talking about a world where there is no more death. For John said this, the former things are passed away. Matter of fact, for a brief moment, Paul put this in comparison. Put this in comparison. He said in Romans, the 8th chapter, he said, I reckon the suffer." He looked at it. I like how he reckoned was a summary. He, 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 he summed it all up. 
Romans 8 and 18, he said, The sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So think about the darkest of your days and the most difficult season of your life or the trauma of loss that many of you have gone through. Some of the things that it's even almost unimaginable, some of the pain or the depth of pain that people that you and I know personally, whether somebody walked out of your life and left you scarred and wounded, whether you were the victim of abuse or whether somebody died at the hands of a brutal culture. Let me tell you, the sufferings of the age today are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us through Christ Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Come on, somebody. Amen. Daryl, join me on the platform for just a moment as I prepare to close. John saw this. He saw an eternal city where all things that are defiled cannot enter in. He saw a city that lies four square, that has gates of pearl, streets of gold. And the scripture says that there is a crystal sea. It's a city without a temple, a church building, or a synagogue because the Lamb is the temple. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples right prior to his both death and his burial and resurrection. John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Think about that. Think about the trouble of the age in which we live. And for whatever reason, the church of America has chosen to only bring these sermons out when somebody has has died. The most important of all doctrines has been reserved for just those days when we're contemplating the loss of a loved one. I think that's, I think that's out of balance. Does that make sense? Is that out of balance today? I'm just being honest. And I'm talking about for me as well. I'm not trying to cast the burden on the other pastors. It's just as much my responsibility. Jesus said this. Remember John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare you a place. Think about that. I go to prepare you a place. I mean, God's got something very special reserved for His children. I go to prepare you a place that where I am, you may be there also. I will not leave you. I will come and I will receive you unto myself. Paraphrase John 14 verses 1 through 3. Don't let your heart be troubled today. Be overwhelmed today with the hope of his eternal life that he's given us in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to close today and I'm going to do what I, what I have to do today in today's modern culture. It's 1151. I've been preaching for about 35 minutes today. So to culminate this sermon, about 30 minutes. To culminate it, the culture of today wants living principles. We want Christian living. Well, how does this affect me today? That's what we want to know. I gave you theology, but now I want to give you, I want to give you practical Christian living. That's, that's the best sellers in today's market, in the book place or the uh, Christian market. So I'm going to give it to you real quickly. What does this doctrine do for you today, right now? What's it going to do for you? Just being confronted with eternal life in Christ Jesus as the most important doctrine. And perhaps you should shift a measure of your uh, a fixation when you read upon eternal promises Remember what Paul wrote in the book of Colossians. Set not, third chapter, set not your mind on things below, but on things above. Don't, set, don't become a fix with the things that you have here that are temporal, but think on that which is eternal. Does that make sense today? That's, that's, that's the scriptures, but, but we've often, we've, we've put it aside. 
what, was this, what will this doctrine do for your life today? What will it help you? If you become more conscious of the eternal life that you possess today in your spirit and the promise of God's eternal kingdom, God's eternal kingdom, I love that phrase. Peter wrote it, Second Peter, I believe, chapter 2, I think the 11th verse, God's eternal kingdom in Christ Jesus. I believe, first of all, here's what it'll do. It will alleviate the fear of death. I didn't say it will alleviate necessarily the fear of the dying process, Nobody necessarily looks forward to the dying process. But how many of you know that Jesus suffered death on the cross to take away from us the fear of death? Right? There's no fear. There's no fear. Well, that's why even for our loved ones, but it's not just for our loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord, but us today, no fear. No fear of death. Now, I'm not saying I'm not afraid of the process of dying or the challenges that can be involved with the dying process. But I want to say this today. There's no fear in death because death is not the end. It is but a doorway into God's eternal kingdom. So his promise of this promise of everlasting life has alleviated that for us. That's come on, that's a great thing. Come on, to live life without the fear of death. Come on, that's a powerful thing. Number two, it gives you peace. When I go to bed at night with peace. I'm at peace with God through Christ Jesus, and He's given me peace because I have the promise of of eternal life. So what earthly value can I place on the peace of God? What value can I? It's all the money, all the wealth, all the gold and the silver. You can't put it in somebody's casket. Come, the ancient Egyptians tried to gather up all the resources of their pharaohs and bury it with them so that when they stepped into the, 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 the uh, afterlife, afterlife, then they would have all of their earthly riches accumulated. You can't take it with you. Come on, so what value can I put on the peace that I have with God today? I'm at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? I'm at peace with God. I tell you, that lifts my countenance. I don't have a disfigured countenance. I have hope and joy and peace. Let me go on. Number three, it gives me joy. Joy. I didn't say happiness. Sometimes happiness is dependent upon our situation. We have some unhappy seasons in life. Sometimes, you know, we have seasons of sorrow. We read that in the scripture, weeping endures through the night. But see, I have a joy that is a spiritual force that will supersede my sorrow. That even in the days when my countenance is fallen because of a tragedy, the world didn't give me my joy and the world can't take it away from me. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit in my life. I have an eternal joy in my heart through Christ Jesus. And so again, the psalmist writes, Weeping may endure through the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Number four today, it gives me purpose. I have a purpose and so do you. You know what you are? Let me tell you what you are. You are an ambassador, not for the United States of America, but you are an ambassador for the eternal kingdom of God if you're saved. You can live every day, every day, with the hope and the expectation that you can introduce somebody else to this gift of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. What about your grandchildren? What about your children? What about the people you work with? When you go on the job, you're not just there to punch the card and work from seven to four. You're there to be a bright and a shining light, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? College students, when you're on the college campus, you're there to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're there to represent his kingdom to those who don't know the love of God in Christ Jesus. And God can use you to help someone see their need to receive Christ as their Savior. That should give you a purpose. And lastly, the very last point, it gives me hope. Hope. 
I hope for the world to come. I have an, in, an anticipation. The darkest of days cannot extinguish this light. It's called the blessed hope. The hope of his coming is the hope of my resurrection and my being with him and that I have everlasting life. And I have that hope in my life. And it gives me all these things are not separated one from the other. They're all interwoven. The fear of death, the peace, the joy, the purpose, and the hope God gives me. Just a few principles extracted from what I noticed is attached to the fact that when I think long enough upon eternal life, I have a reason to celebrate His goodness today. So here's my conclusion. The gift of eternal life. This is my summary. Paul made a summary. I'm going to make a summary for you today as your pastor who preaches. Last week I preached to you. I thank my God, 1 Corinthians 14. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. I believe in that doctrine. I preach prosperity. I preach an abundant life. I preach the favor of God. I preach the anointing of God. I believe God wants all of those things. I, I believe he wants the, 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 the abundant life of John 10 and 10. But I believe in my heart of hearts that the gift of eternal life is the great of doctrines and you and I need to look a little bit closer at it because if we'll look closer at it the effects of it in the word working in our own life will give us the things that I have mentioned to you our Christian life will become so much more when this becomes the central or the most important doctrine I encourage you today meditate upon it look beyond your present life to the one to come remind yourself of eternal promises set your heart on things above. That's my encouragement for the Christian here today. My last question today is this question is, do you possess? Here's the question I have for every person here today. I know most of you possess this, but perhaps not everyone. Do you possess the hope that I've spoken to you about today? Isn't that a fair question today? I believe that Jesus was here in the flesh. He may have taught, he may have taught the same subject, or he may have taught something altogether different. But when it's all said and done, I believe he would look at this congregation of people today, young and old alike, and he would say, Do you have the hope that eternal life that you have in me? That's what he would say. So I'm going to echo his words because I'm his ambassador. Do you have the eternal life? He that has the Son has life. Come on, if you don't have the Son, then you don't have that hope. Does that make sense? If you don't have the Son of God in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus as the Son of God, then you don't have the hope of eternal life. You say, Pastor, well, how do I receive that? It's by faith today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed today. I'm asking a simple question to every man, woman, boy or girl under the sound of my voice. I'm asking you this simple question, and that is, do you possess the hope of eternal life? This life is found only in His Son, if you have the Son, you have life. Do an inventory right now. Do you have that hope? Do you have that peace today? The old preachers of old would put us in this setting and they would say this. If you were to die today, if you were to die today, do you have peace that you would immediately appear with God in His eternal kingdom? If you don't have that hope and that peace today, you can have it today by a simple prayer that you make in this church family today and in this fellowship. I would love to pray with you. I'll pray with you right where you're at, right where you are today. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I've inventoried my life, and today I do not have the hope of eternal life, but I would like to receive this free gift today, the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life through Christ. I would like to receive that. Raise your hand today. I'd like to pray with you.